0: Hey there, the name's Atlas. Got a quick favour for you. Would you kindly listen to the classic Gaming Brothers? It's my favourite podcast down here in Rapture. Alright, well, on to the show. Be sure not to let those splicers get you. (coughs)
1: Hey there, everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth, and I'm Zach, and we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We
0: are. We are the Ooh, Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: That's right.
0: Isn't that fun? It is fun. It is fun. I like being the Classic Gaming Brothers. I like playing video games classically with my brother.
1: Uh, always be classic. Never be classy.
0: We yeah, seldom. Or classy. sometimes classy. Or sometimes classy. No, that's true. Not really in this podcast. I
1: I learned about. Why people hold their pinky fingers up when they drink tea. Why is that? Because when you are eating a medieval meal, you don't necessarily have a fork. So you are using your hands. But if you wanted to put salt on your food, you would need to have a clean finger. Oh! (laughs) And that is your pinky finger. Oh, wow. So it's not necessarily about being polite, it's about being well i guess it is about being polite because you don't want to stick your dirty chicken fingers into yeah yeah the the bowl of salt that the table's using yeah yeah so yeah so it's a uh it's it's just more of a um being courteous courteous. yeah yeah that's where it comes from
0: well that's excellent i like that that's a good uh that's a good starting story to this classic gaming (laughs) brothers episode that has nothing really to do with medieval etiquette or uh Or anything.
1: No. No, not really. But... What what have you been up to recently?
0: Not much, Seth. Not much. Um, I've been playing games as always. In fact, I've been recently playing a game called Age of Empires 2 HD Edition. Which isn't
1: that about medieval times?
0: That is in medieval times. You're correct. You're correct. Well, so there we go. I, I, Although I you're not really, way. there's there's really no etiquette in that game. Uh, so Age of Empires 2, for those who do not know, is a sequel to 1997's Age of Empires. The sequel came out in 1999 originally in 2013 it was uh released in hd for modern systems and then in 2019 it was re-released again as the definitive edition i am currently playing playing...
1: the, the just the hd edition i'm
0: playing just the hd edition which is really only different from the definitive edition in the sense that the hd edition doesn't have all of the dlc that was or expansion packs that were created during that time period um and the more recent one that came out like three years ago so it's, it's a fun game though for, um, no, it's right up my alley. It's a, it's a real time strategy game originally published by Microsoft created by Ensemble Studios. Uh, and you play as a number of different civilizations and you fight other civilizations and you can win battles by either total elimination, you know, wiping out the other team, uh, creating a massive monument known as a wonder, which is unique to each civilization or, or collecting majority of items known as relics that are scattered around the map. So if you collect like a certain number of them, you have a chance of winning the game. I primarily play with my friends. We p- primarily play on a team against the enemy AI. The AI is incredibly aggressive. Um, so we usually play against the AI. We do like to use cheats sometimes, but only if we get really cornered. Because there's one cheat that spawns a Shelby Cobra, which is this really old-fashioned car... And it shoots bullets really fast. That's a good cheat. There's there's also another cheat called Woof Woof, um, which turns all of the the birds that you see flying over the map, which are completely like, they don't do anything in the game, but it changes them all to dogs wearing capes. So then you just have dogs with capes so, flying around.
1: So they're like super dogs.
0: Yeah, super dogs. It's a fun game uh again we usually uh the usually the ai is incredibly aggressive we, we like to play with what's called a treaty period so like for the first uh, 20 or so minutes of the game the ai can't attack us so it kind of gives us a chance to build what ends up happening though is the ai creates a massive army during this time because it's very good at multitasking and then the moment the treaty is lifted you just see on the map a line of color coming from their base to one of our bases and it just wipes out that base. But it's a, it's a fun game. They, they the, the the HD edition has also fixed some of the AI issues. When I originally purchased the game on Steam, there was a bug where if you built two walls... um, So you built, like, one wall and then another wall right next to that wall... The AI would get incredibly confused and would just, like, walk up to your first wall... And just kind of, like, stand there and then try to, like, get around it. And then they'd just retreat. Um, Now they just pile through. <laughs> they, just, they just mow down the wall. So... Yeah, that's that's what I've been playing. It's a fun classic game. What about you, Seth?
1: Um, I have uh, been playing a fun classic spiritual assessor to a game. Wow, look at you! Or sequel, I guess. I've been playing uh, Wasteland Three. Wasteland Three was a, my one of my recent byway paths, so I, I won't go too. I remember much, that. Too long onto it. If you listened to the earlier episode, it was uh, developed by Exile Entertainment and published by in exile entertainment and was actually crowdfunded on fig.co uh they now are owned by microsoft Mm -hmm. uh, so they don't necessarily need to crowdfund anymore since microsoft makes lots of money Uh, (laughs) they it was released august 27th of 2020 and uh so i played about 15 hours give or take of the game so far and i'm really been digging it uh the character customization is always really great in these wasteland games and the story has been Pretty compelling so far. Cool. Uh, The game takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, and you play as a group that are known as the Rangers, which are kind of like the post-apocalyptic successors to the Army Rangers. Okay. And they are, um, it's specifically in Wasteland 3, going to Colorado to get assistance for Arizona, where they're based, because they, like, are in a, a... pain situation where they need help to, for Arizona. Yeah, okay. On the way to Colorado, they get attacked, and they get beaten pretty bad, which is in the opening cinematic, so it's not a spoiler, (laughs) and... You, the player, need to establish a, a new ranger compound and recruit new recruits to carry out the ranger mission. It's got some interesting takes on people. So, like all of Colorado's run by this one guy named the Patriarch, who wields a giant hammer oh. and is kind of older. And he has three children who are trying to kill him. Oh, okay. So he he his initial mission to you is to for you. To go capture his children, but not kill them, but just bring them to him. So I, I guess he can spank them or something. I don't. I'm not particularly. Maybe. <laughs> sure. I mean, his punishment yeah, for them. I mean, to each their own. So I I really like uh the as I the character of customization is pretty deep, and uh I, and most all rangers need to have like well I think I don't know if they all need they all get fun names or at least I give them all fun names so. I have a, a group that consists of a uh, a ranger called the Reaper, the mm-hmm. uh, Cleanser, Zippo, and Doc. So Reaper is a sniper. The Cleanser is a shotgun wielder. Uh, Zippo is a flamethrower. Wow. Person. And Doc is the doctor. Wow, I'm, look at you. I'm pretty, I'm pretty creative. Uh, these were all characters that I created. And they, you also get two NPCs. So you get a total of six people that you can kind of control. The combat is very similar to like XCOM turn based com- to- combat, where every person that you control has time units that are associated with how many actions they can perform. Yeah, so okay. shoot like, so for example, Reaper gets one shot per turn because it's so much, it's so expensive to shoot a sniper rifle. But generally, his one shot usually kills a bad guy every turn, so he's doing he's doing his work. So it's, it's kind of a cool strategy mix. Uh, you can also use, so they all have different skill sets, and you can kind of almost avoid combat sometimes if you have high enough. Uh, the skills are called hard ass or kick ass, kiss ass, and they're okay. kind of the diplomacy skills and you can avoid the combat sometimes if your skills are high enough with those by just talking your way out of problems. And as long as somebody in your group possesses that skill, you can proceed forward. So having a diverse group is helpful with progressing the story in the game. And uh, the game was also changed a little bit from Wasteland 2, which was the first reimagining of the Wasteland series, which originally yeah. came out in the 80s. Yeah. Where it just feels easier. Uh, I think Wasteland 2 uses some sort of percent system to do skills. So you may have like a 25 or a 30% chance of doing something. And obviously the higher the percent chance, the easier for you to do it is. And um, so things were... So you would pick a lock and you may or may not get the lock. And then I think over time the lock would break. Where in Wasteland 3, you just have like lock pick. You have like whatever the lock pick skill is. I think it's security. So it'll be like security 4. So anything with lock pick or like security 4 and under, you can pick. Anything greater, you can't. And it's kind of that simple simplification that actually has gotten me more into the game right because it's a little easier to just like get into it and understand kind of the the basis of the game yeah so win 3 it's been a pretty I think it's been a pretty good pickup for me at, at least I've been in, enjoying it as well
0: cool well, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, I remember we talked a bit about Wasteland Three a few episodes ago when it was your BioWaite pass, so Yes. At some point I should revisit or I should visit the Wasteland franchise. Maybe I'll get a copy for my Apple II. Oh yeah, the original. That's right. So uh today we are we are following up last week's episode. Last week we talked about System Shock and System Shock Two. And today we are going to be talking about the BioShock games which are the uh, spiritual successors to uh, the System Shock games. Um so it's not in my notes, but Seth, uh, do you have any memories of particular things with BioShock games?
1: So BioShock 1 I think came out on the 360. Yes. Of the Xbox 360 as well as PC. But it didn't come on to PC until much later from my memory. And I do remember playing through the majority of the Xbox 360 version of BioShock And then I had a friend who will remain nameless save over my progress. So I was like 80% of the way done. Yeah. And then it was gone because there was limited amount of saves on the Xbox 360. And that was it. They saved their (laughs) game more than my game. And then I didn't play it or we didn't finish playing it for a long time. Uh, And I've actually just recently beat Bioshock. (laughs) (laughs) i think i actually talked about it on the podcast you did you did yeah sometime in the past um so my my memories of bioshock are um relatively recent as well um i really like the uh voice acting in bioshock i think yes the voice acting in bioshock is probably primo like it's like some of the best voice acting out there, especially for a game of its time and based on the limitations that they were presented to. In Bioshock, they were actually given, they had a limited amount of assets that they had available and their budget did not allow them to get more assets. So they had to like reuse assets in the game, which is part of the reason why Tenabon is generally not revealed like up close, except in like one moment, but she's always shadowy and stuff like that. Because she, even no, even when you reveal her up close, she's like a shadow, like in like the cover of like Smoke or Steam or something like that. Because uh they didn't have the assets to have a character model for tennebond specifically, like they just ran out of money. So they instead just reused an asset for a villain and made sure that you weren't able to get a clear picture of her
0: yeah yeah they do that also with um though it kind of works more almost in the storyline but when you first see the character of atlas yep You know, you only see him in shadow and then, or in silhouette, and then, you know, something falls and it blocks your view of him. But if you, like, cheat the game and you go and look at him, he's just a generic villain character.
1: You can actually, um, in part, there is the submarine Yes, part of the game. You can get a clear shot of him without cheating, and he does just look like a random Wrench Slicer, or whatever. Yeah, the, the splices. splices. The, yeah, but it's like the specifically the Wrench Splicer. So what about you? Do you have any memories of Bioshock or Bioshock 2 or Infinite?
0: Yeah, I was late stage to Bioshock. I picked up, I think it was a, it was a copy of both Bioshock 1 and 2 in a bundle. Um, uh, many years ago um, back when I was still in high school and I played through Bioshock one and I loved it. And then I started playing Bioshock two and it kept crashing on my computer. So I never finished Bioshock two until just a few weeks ago um, where I finally finished Bioshock two. However, it still kept crashing on my current computer. So Bioshock 2 might not be the most optimized game, even in the remastered edition. And then I also played Bioshock Infinite around the time it came out. I picked up a copy when it was uh, first available. I played through it. I lo- I liked it a lot, and we'll talk a bit more about Bioshock Infinite um, a little later. So um, I don't have the same kind of memory as Seth does where I didn't have a bunch of my saves corrupted or saved over by anyone. Um, I-, I was. I did not have that misfortune. I was able to play through the game. Um, fully from the beginning to the end in regards to Bioshock in regards to Bioshock history um, uh, for those of you who are listening you might remember that uh, we spoke about System Shock in the last last episode In the last episode I told you a bit about Ken Levine who created Irrational Games in 1997 out of uh, the former members of Looking Glass Studios in 2007 Irrational Games which was founded by Ken Levine was rebranded as 2k Boston as part of the whole uh 2k kind of umbrella of game companies uh, and they were 2k boston from 2007 to 2009 and then they rebranded again as irrational games in 2009 so they were looking glass studios irrational games 2k boston irrational games as 2k boston in 2007 uh ken levine's team released bioshock and it was widely considered to be the spiritual sequel to the system shock games and a spiritual sequel in this case and in most cases isn't a game that's a direct sequel so it's not necessarily taking the story the plot and such from a previous game and expanding on it rather it takes themes and elements from a previous game and expands on it or a previous item and expands on it so bioshock um, again, developed by Ken Levine, is set in the 1960s, and you play as a protagonist named Jack, who arrives in the underwater city of Rapture after a plane crash. Rapture is this metropolis located at the bottom of the sea. It's this beautiful, beautiful, you know, um, almost looks like a, like a version of New York, just planted at the bottom of the ocean and it was developed by a businessman named Andrew Ryan who is also um, an objectivist he follows the the ideas of objectivism which were made popular by Ayn Rand Um, and that's definitely not a reference in his name right Andrew Ryan Ayn Rand Uh, so Ryan Andrew Ryan wanted to build this isolated utopia for artists and scientists he had this kind of concept that you know what a man builds is what a man owns sort of thing and as they're creating this utopia, they discover genetic material called Adam. After the genetic material is discovered, the city f- eventually collapses, essentially, to residents who start becoming addicted to the genetic material. And the actual events that caused the city to become in this state, as you discover throughout audio logs in the game, are referred to as the New, Year- New Year's Eve riots of 1958, which were all part of this conflict between Andrew Ryan and... And a revolutionary named Atlas, whose name is also definitely not a reference to an Ayn Rand novel known as Atlas Shrugged.
1: (laughs) The game, though, has a lot of similarity to System Shock 2, specifically when it comes to gameplay choices and storyline. Though, my opinion, it's much more fluid in regards to controls, which is a key point here. Um, And instead of the psionics that were introduced in System Shock 2, Bioshock uses plasmids. Uh, Plasmids upgrade your character and add different abilities to help you progress through the game. These can range from buffs to your health and armor to being able to shoot actual bees from your wrists. You can light people on fire, shoot electricity. There is an aspect where you need to use plasmids to get past certain puzzles, be they optional or mandatory puzzles. So you may need electricity to short circuit door consoles that are broken to have the doors be open or use fire to get past ice that's making a door get sealed because of ice. Um, This teaches you how to use the mechanic and then you'll find optional puzzles throughout where maybe there's an audio diary uh, that is stuck in ice that you walk by and you can use your fire ability if you have it equipped to break it out. Or there may be a door that you find that you can overcharge with electricity. Also something that I really enjoyed in that game is that the powers interacted with the environment as well. So there could be like a puddle of water where you can shoot with electricity. And the damage from the electricity would do more damage over an area of effect. Killing everybody in the water, Um Same with fire on a spill of oil. So you hit the oil on the fire and uh, the whole thing goes up, Um, which allows you to think about the game strategically in regards to uh, maybe you'll see that there is a turret and then you'll see that there is a pile of oil so you can hack the turret to be on your side and then you could convince the splicers to come down and attack you light them on fire and have the turret light you up the hacking feature that's in the game involves you solving a puzzle that is involving uh, pipes and then there so there's pipes outlaid outlined in the in the game and you have to move them around making sure that this little path of fluid that will av- that is delayed, but eventually comes out, is connected to the end point in a little puzzle maze type situation. Connecting back to System Shock 2, uh, it's very horror oriented and you are... As in System Shock 2, wandering around a secluded, abandoned location where your enemies are former humans who have been mutated in some manner. Um, in this case, they are mutated by the overusage of plasmids and going relatively nuts because they've been under the water for an extended period of time. The game has an overarching theme about the hubris of humanity and deals with how hypocrisy can destroy that trust. Andrew Ryan claims that a business should be solely owned and controlled by the creator, but also works to make sure that his competition doesn't take it over. Where uh, Frank Fontaine, his rival as it were is all about the free enterprise of rapture and how different jobs should go to the different people of rapture versus the state that andrew ryan wishes at the end of the day should roll up to him (laughs) where you could conduct your own business but andrew ryan at the end of the day owns it which is hypocritical i guess to what he it starts off in the video where uh, Andrew Ryan goes and tries to say that rapture is free compared to uh, Washington, the Vatican, and um, communist Russia because um, in those different states, as it were, um, the sweat of the man's brow goes to different people. So Washington says that the sweat of the man's brow should go to the poor, and in the vatican it should go to god and in in russia it should go to um everybody yeah yeah to the The, the to the the people
0: to the the, or it's to the state i think
1: to the state to the state and in rapture you're free um so that's kind of the you get greeted with that in one of probably the best opening sequences uh, in a video game especially in that time so in the um opening of the syst- in the opening of the entire sequence of BioShock if you haven't played BioShock it's a amazing opening it starts off with you being on an airplane and the airplane ends up crashing and you have to tread water up to this like lighthouse and as you go into the lighthouse there is a sphere this uh, oh bathysphere is what it's called the bathysphere which is like this sphere that you climb into that's like a like a copper color and has very like steampunk aesthetic to it or i think do you think bioshock is steampunk yeah i would say steampunk versus diesel punk
0: yeah it's definitely not i would consider it more of like uh steampunk or there's actually a term for like the art deco style um punk that i think they they have in it um, or it's more of like a retrofuturism sort of style
1: right if anything Bioshock is like steampunk and Bioshock Infinite is like diesel punk so and then you descend this bathosphere and it first it shows your depth and the depth that you're going down you go you keep going down deeper and deeper into the ocean uh, eventually like a little 1950s movie plays where Andrew Ryan espouses how much rapture is better than the up the world up up top and then the 1950 like movie reel like disappears and you're just greeted with this undersea scape of this underwater city complete with these giant um like a squid flying by and there's like fish moving around and crawling over rapture the city are these huge diving people these like diving suit creatures that you'll find out our big daddies but they're these large uh vintage diving suit monsters that have like drills for hands and that kind of goes into kind of where the game starts to uh talk about uh, morality as it were
0: yeah so the game introduces this idea of morality which wasn't something that a lot of games were doing back then. I mean, there's certainly games that had, you know, alternate endings and, and morality choices, but this kind of introduced a morality system, which a lot of modern games use. So throughout the game, you encounter these creatures, as Seth noted, that are called big daddies, and they guard little sisters. And little sisters are these mutated children who crave the genetic material of Adam that they can collect from deceased individuals. And now you... Jack, you need Adam to upgrade your abilities. And the only way to get it is from taking it from the sisters. Now, the sisters are peaceful, they're not going to attack you, and the big daddies are actually peaceful unless you try to take the Adam from the little sisters. So, after slaying a big daddy, you'll have the option to save or harvest the little sister. Harvesting them will kill them and give you the maximum amount of Adam available. Saving them will give you a better ending, it gives you less amount of Adam. Though it also opens up the opportunity for um, some like spontaneous gifts and stuff throughout the game that you'll get, but you will get a significant less amount of Adam. I think you only get 80 Adam as opposed to like 160 or almost 200 Adam from harvesting a little sister. And, um, and like I said, you need that atom in order to progress the game. You know, it's you, if you could certainly try not to collect it, but it's not going to make the game any easier for you.
1: And I like that they, it obviously, it changes the end. Yes. Actually, I believe three ends that can be reached.
0: There's like the best ending, the okay ending, and then there's the worst ending.
1: The wor- well, the evil ending. The,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I think the best ending is considered the canon ending, and then the, the it other is. two endings are the non-not-so-canon endings.
1: It's definitely, Bioshock does have some twists in the game. Uh, it has been out for quite some time, but we still won't necessarily reveal those twists because we yes, like to make yes. sure that if you decide to pick it up that we're not just ruining the game for you. Though, to talk about sales with uh, Bioshock, the Xbox 360 version of the Bioshock was the third best-selling game of August 2007, and it sold uh, 490,900 copies. And because of the early reviews of the game, uh, Bioshock helped push the Take-Two Interactive uh, stock (laughs) <laughs> up about 20 percent um because of the game alone um by 2008 over 2.2 2 million copies of bio uh, bioshock had been shipped and then by march of 2010 bioshock had had sold uh 4 million copies so the game did well yeah it, it, it did very well um which led the company to decide that if it did well then
0: what should we do let's make a sequel So Bioshock 2 (laughs) came out in 2010, and it directly follows up on Bioshock, and it was created by 2K Marin. So it should be noted that this game was not directed by Ken Levine or his team at Irrational Games. 2k boston the 2k marin did consist of former 2k boston team members they ended up going to work for 2k marin for a period of time i did think i do think that 2k marin might have shuttered their doors not too long after bioshock 2 unfortunately so bioshock 2 takes place eight years after the end of the first game and eight years have passed and that means the city of rapture has continued to fall into disrepair but those big daddies are doing their darndest to fix the leaks and uh the story actually follows a big daddy and his name is subject delta who awakens 10 years after apparently being killed. And he was apparently killed on the night of the New Year Eve riots of 1958. So uh, Delta learns that his bonded little sister has been captured by this woman named Sophia Lamb, who's a former Rapture psychiatrist. And it is suspected that Lamb has been kidnapping children from the surface world this whole time in order to rebuild Rapture. That's one of the cool things about this game is they did actually do a little bit of an ARG with it you could go to a website. They had these news articles and I think they were audio logs that were supposed to play out like old radio shows and they would... uh be stories of people living in the area that Rapture is supposed to be near describing their children going missing and like oh my child and I were at the beach I turned around my child was gone and there was these massive footsteps leaving like the beach going into the water um, so it definitely implies that you know uh, someone's trying to rebuild the Rapture and recreate the little sister program
1: uh, the game play is very similar to the original Bioshock Delta The main character uh, is slower than Jack, being a big daddy. Um, They are large monstrosities, and that is uh, pretty well shown in the game, where you move kind of as a big creature. There, also is the you have the ability to, which carries forward through Bioshock Infinite, of being able to wield your weapon and your plasmid at the same time. So. You In Bioshock 1, you could only wield a weapon or wield a plasmid. You cannot wield both of them at the same time. However, in Bioshock 2, that is the big daddy is, I guess, large enough to be able to successfully wield a weapon, which could also be the drill, and also use a plasmid uh, simultaneously. So that is a different take on it. Also, you get less of a pool as it were of your uh, plasmids and how much plasmid you can use and you have to refill more often than you would playing as jack so it is a different combat style there is also uh, they introduce new uh, weapons and new plasmids Uh, the they also change uh, the hacking element of the game so Instead of rushing up and solving this puzzle every single time, they give you a, a essentially a gun that you can shoot and remote hack uh, items that you can't reach. And it's done through a timing puzzle where you have to, there's like a metronome type uh, line that goes back and forth across a... Um, like a scanner, and you have to stop it at a certain point. And then the location where you have to stop it gets smaller and smaller. And if you do it successfully three times, you will successfully hack it. If you successfully do it three times and end on the good portion of where you need to yeah, end it like, on.
0: It's like color blue or something.
1: Yeah, you will get a bonus. So maybe the, the vending machine that you're hacking will give you an item. It's I don't know. I So I've played a lot of Bioshock 2. Um, I will admit that I have not beaten Bioshock 2, but I have played enough to know that I am almost beaten it (laughs) and I am trying a completionist run so it takes me a little while longer to play through these games and then other games come around such as Wasteland 3 and then I get sidetracked and never go back but uh I'm attempting in, in my completionist runs like I did with my Bioshock run of collecting all the audio diaries so I'm trying to do all the audio diaries in Bioshock 2 anyway it it feels easier to do it in Bioshock 2 to hack certain things yeah um, it's quicker too it's, it's cu- much much quicker overall the game is okay uh, it's a it's a it's a good game it's short uh, which is why if I've played a decent amount of it I know that I'm almost done uh, Bioshock 1 I think clicks in about maybe 35 hours
0: yeah I think if you're doing a completionist run probably in the more probably closer in the 20 25 hours. Um, For Bioshock, Bioshock 1? Yeah, Bioshock 1 is not an incredibly long game, but Bioshock 2 is certainly shorter.
1: <laughs> right, so I think a like completionist run of Bioshock 1 I think will take you about 35 hours, yeah. but Bioshock 2 will take you 25. Yeah, I think 20. so. It's Many people also kind of viewed Bioshock 2 as almost like an expansion pack to Bioshock 1 at the time. It didn't play as a true sequel, and they didn't really change enough to make it feel like it was a true sequel, and it did really play like just an expansion pack though it did receive a dlc which some people say is better than the actual game (laughs) um it received a dlc known as minerva's den and is cited as some of the best dlc in all video games yeah by many journalists so people not like us and (laughs) deeper analysis has noted that the game doesn't really change the formula of the first game um with Minerva's Den, it eventually becomes the sequel that people wanted but it just took too long to get there. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good game. If you like the Bioshock franchise, I would recommend playing it. I, I definitely um,
0: yeah, if you play Bioshock 1, play Bioshock 2. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're good follow-up. They, you know, they're a good package item together. Right.
1: They They are a good package item together and I think you could probably get them in a package together. Yes. In the first week of release, Bioshock 2 was one of the best-selling Xbox 360 games, both in the UK and North America. In the US, the NPD, which is the National Purchase Diary Panel, which is a market research company, recorded that it has a top-selling game of February with 562,900 units sold on Xbox 360, 190,500 on P, and 190,500 on PS3. It also Managed to hold both first and second positions on Steam release charts when it was released on Steam. It was Bioshock 2 was number one in sales for Xbox 360 and number 12 for the PlayStation 3 when that first month of release. Um, by March 2010, Bioshock 2 uh, sold 3 million copies across all platforms, uh, which was close to the original Bioshock's 4 million lifetime sales at the time. However, Take-Two was not impressed. The game had lower than expected sales, um, adding sales slowed down much sooner than they expected. Prior to the game coming out, they really promised the market that the game would sell 5 million copies across the platforms. So Bioshock shorted by a million units. And at 50 bucks a pop... That's a lot of millions of dollars that take 2 did not get that they were hoping for.
0: Yeah, no, not great. But it still made money. It still made enough money that it got a sequel.
1: That's right. <laughs> not as not as not as quick as well, oh, yes. maybe exactly as quick, Though actually.
0: Not quite the same kind of sequel.
1: And they brought back Ken Levine.
0: <laughs> That's right. So Bioshock Infinite was released in 2013 by Irrational Games with Ken Levine as his uh in his uh You know chair as the as the lead of the game and it was published by 2k so 2k was not involved in the actual development of the game this time bioshock infinite is a sequel to bioshock and it also kind of sets the tone for what future sequels to bioshock are going to be like at least from our understanding um and how ken levine has spoke about the series so as opposed to bioshock 2 Infinite does not immediately take place in the storyline of the first two games. Uh, You're not in Rapture. It's not the 1960s. uh, You are in a whole different city in a whole different time. The story takes place in 1912, and you follow a former Pinkerton agent known as Booker DeWitt, who is sent to the airborne city of Columbia to rescue a woman named Elizabeth. He encounters a ton of racist people who worshipped the American founding fathers and a despotic cult leader named Zachary Comstock. Uh, Seth also talked about this game fairly recently, so we're not going to focus too, too much on the story because I think we uh, talked about that a lot in one of his more recently plays. It does have a lot of racism in it, though. The game is, like, heavily inspired by this, like, um, overt, like, hyper-patriotism and um, I think the term is Jingoism, I think. Uh, J-I-N- or J-I-N-G-O-I-S-M spelled J-I-N-G-O-I-S-M. Um, which is just like hyper patriotism um, to the point of xenophobia. Uh,
1: it also plays into the uh, American expansionism as a political thought. Comstock essentially goes off the rails from America. So if you didn't listen to us talk about Bioshock Infinite, uh, long story short, it takes place on a flying city and is led by this prophet Comstock. And he def- Defected from America to form Colombia, a more perfect America.
0: <laughs> yeah, he defected from America because he brought Colombia to the Boxer Rebellion and tried to wipe out the entire city. Yes, and America and was then, like, "Don't do that!" And he was like, "Can't stop me. I'm in the air." Yes, and then, he, yes, flew and then away. he
1: flew away. They do change up the formula from Bioshock.
0: It is. Not a
1: horror game in the sense that Bioshock is where there are jump scares throughout the abandoned, crumbling city of Rapture. The city of Columbia that you are in is fine. Like, it's not falling apart. It's, in fact, working as intended. So the horror that you see are more of the crimes against humanity that are committed by the people. And unlike Bioshock, I mentioned this before, but unlike Bioshock... Where Rapture is empty apart from the villains you attack. Bioshock Infinite has people that populate the city and you can interact with them and they're not overtly violent against
0: you. Yeah, they're, they're mostly uh, just going about their day.
1: Right. So there are people that are at the beach and you can be on the beach and you can walk by them and that you you're not going to kill them and they're not going to attack you which is the opposite in bioshock where pretty much every single person that you interact with in bioshock is attempting to kill you in one way or the other yeah or eventually yeah. will try to kill you <laughs> yes. one way or the other yes. i don't think there's a single person that you spe- speak to in bioshock that doesn't try to murder you at some point in time
0: literally everyone wants you dead <laughs> but in this game everyone just doesn't like you <laughs> yeah
1: so and there and that's and that's true like people will make offhanded comments about you but they don't try to murder you you. And the story does also follow more of a linearity of uh, a time and how changes to the timeline can result in terrible outcomes. So Elizabeth in the game has the ability to manipulate time and space. So it kind of plays into that effect where um, Elizabeth has the ability to change time and thus has an impact to the continuity of the game. In fact, when Booker dies from, like, combat, not, like, in the store. Like, just, like, if you die from getting killed by villains. Yeah, if you get, like, overwhelmed. I believe Elizabeth brings you back or something through time.
0: So, in the early part of the game, before you save Elizabeth, it actually puts you into Booker's office before he leaves for Columbia. And it's you getting up from your desk and going... To Columbia. So it's just like time is repeating. Whereas in um, later parts of the game, when you're with Elizabeth, she like brings you back to life and she's like, come on, stay with me. And she's like tapping a syringe and injecting it into you. <laughs>
1: That's right. Where in Bioshock, you get resurrected in a... Vita system, which the 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 Vita system is like these pods that you can they resurrect you in them. Yeah, it's weird. But it's not clear whether or not you're <laughs> cloned, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. if you are resurrected. It's very
0: weird plot plot armor. And
1: but. That plot armor also makes you wonder, are there just a bunch of clones of Jack that are just dead spread throughout Bioshock Rapture? Um, Bioshock Infinite also has a series of DLCs, uh, the first being Clash and the Clowns, which is a wave-based... Clouds, wave not base <laughs> Clash. I want it to be Clash and the Clowns. Clash of the Clouds, which is a wave-based combat mode, which I don't know, if personally, I don't know if Bioshock needed, but <laughs> apparently it did. Um, the second set of the DLC was actually actually i think a good value add as it were and it's a two-part storyline called Bur- Bur- burial. <laughs> burial burial at sea uh where it puts you back in the role of booker dewitt who is the person that you are playing in bioshock infinite so thus it would be i guess it would be the person you would play in the dlc right in yeah the continuity there going but this time you're a private eye in the city of rapture and it's set just before 1958 new year's eve riots that occur in the backstory to bioshock and it allows you to actually view rapture as the bustling and busy city such as it is in bioshock infinite that it once was before the bioshock before the riots yeah which is really cool and it's actually funny because i've been actually very excited to play this dlc but due to my dedication and trying to play all the bioshocks before getting to this dlc yeah i have kind of gate kept this particular content away from myself and (laughs) it's been out for a while now yeah so it's this game like it's been out for at least i don't know like eight years at the core yeah maybe nine years (laughs) or no maybe seven years eight or seven years and i've kept the content away from myself i've not played it without because i haven't beaten bioshock infinite so there's there's that. In the first week of release, uh, Bioshock Infinite was one of the best-selling games on Steam's digital top 10 PC charts uh, in the United States. Bioshock Infinite was the top-selling console games for March of 2013 with more than 878,000 units sold, which do not include digital sales such as through Steam. So who knows take two interactive reported that the game shipped 3.7 million copies to the retailers by may of 2013's financial report and that surpassed four millions in late july and then according to take two the game sold more than six million copies as of may 2014 and 11 million copies in 2015 so um, i would say bioshock infinite did what they wanted bioshock 2 to do In regards to the the sell-through. Yeah. yeah. Um, Though it is interesting that in that time, um, they kind of departed. So Bioshock and I believe Bioshock 2 were actually... Limited exclusives when it came to Xbox.
0: Yes, yeah, they were. So they
1: were on the Xbox and only the Xbox for a little while, and then they were ported to other systems and eventually the PC. I think the PC got them last. However, by the time Bioshock Infinite came around, it was not. Yes, yeah, released on all systems at once, which is an interesting reversal of what we're seeing almost nowadays, where we're seeing a lot of timed exclusives. On specific platforms that eventually come to other platforms. This was kind of like we used to see that. And now with 2K, we're not seeing it anymore.
0: Yeah, it's kind of going back to the way things were but it's also weird where it's like you'll have a timed exclusive but it will still be on pc so like the ps5 is going to have a bunch of timed exclusives but they're also coming out on pc at the exact same time so right which not really i'm also going gonna... <laughs> <but laughs>
1: I, I also see that happening with uh microsoft now that microsoft owns like bethesda and all that that they're going to release timed exclusives
0: so yeah so in this last section we are going to speak about a pretty big spoiler of bioshock infinite coming up and and um, in turn, we're also going to kind of spoil Bioshock 1. Not a major thing in Bioshock 1, but it, it it's fairly major. So what I would highly recommend you do is if you have not played Bioshock Infinite and you have not played Bioshock 1 or 2, you might want to skip this section, um, maybe just fast forward a bit until you start hearing us talk about games that don't sound like Bioshock anymore. <laughs> I don't have a timestamp yet. Uh, you know, it, it, you might want to just skip this section or, um, you know, just stop listening now, or you can just power through it and enjoy the spoilers. But, uh, um, and they're not, we're, we're gonna they're talk... not
1: super, they're not super spoily because I still haven't beaten Bioshock infinite. Yeah. These are, <laughs> well, these
0: are, and these aren't like plot plot things. These are like thematic spoilers. Yeah, I
1: I think Zach's being too serious. I think my recommendation, just listen to this and just deal.
0: (laughs) In Bioshock Infinite, there's an idea that's proposed and it ties most of the universes of these games together. So this idea is brought up toward the end of the game. And uh, Elizabeth reveals that the nature of reality, specifically the nature of Booker's reality, Booker's life and how it's intertwined with the city of Columbia, is based on something. And that thing is there's always a lighthouse. There's always a man. And there's always a city that that just that phrase. Um, and and the, the way this comes about is Booker is kind of seeing all these universes unwind and he sees himself in multiple places at once, walking on bridges toward lighthouses and away from lighthouses. And he realizes that his fate is inevitable, whatever that fate might be. And this kind of directly ties into the plot of Bioshock one. You start at a lighthouse, you play as Jack, you play as a guy and there's Rapture, the city. There's always a lighthouse, there's always a man, and there's always a city. And from there you can also make the strong case that it's also relevant to other games. I mean, plenty of games have a similar, um, you know, a similar structure. It, it in many ways, it's breaking down. There's always a call to action, there's always a protagonist, there's always a location, which sounds incredibly dull, <laughs> but it ties all these universes together. So if you want to interpret this a bit more loosely, for System Shock 2. The distress beacon is the lighthouse. The ship is the city, and the man is the main character. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a man. There's always a city.
1: And, and it goes back to the idea of "quote unquote" choice in a video game. Uh, in Bioshock, uh, the mid-game is it is revealed that you're you're not really making choices, which in Bioshock Infinite then kind of makes it clear with the way what Elizabeth says is that at the end of the day, your choice doesn't really matter. It's always going to be the same and you're on this inevitable pathway, as it were. Which I I, I find that interesting. In a very... It's kind of like, yeah, Bioshock is full of choices, but in the end of the day, you're going to get the same story, really. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's the... Especially infinite, because infinite presents to you a choice in the game, which, at the end of the day, doesn't matter, and it's a pretty distinct choice. And if you play through infinite, um, I hopefully I didn't ruin it for you, but there it is. So that's the end of our spoiler content, which may have been. Well, I think the stuff that I said was the most spoiler, spoiler, um, and with that, uh, we'll end our spoiler content and our Bioshock content and
0: our shock content
1: our shock content and our two-parter shock episode
0: yeah Um, we've been shocked by bioshock
1: we've been shocked and so have you (laughs) uh so uh zach what are you excited about buying waiting or passing on?
0: well seth my buy weight pass for this episode is a game that i only just learned about called sign of silence and it's coming out this year it's actually coming out um actually as of this episode It's out October 1st. It came out on October 1st, uh, 2020. It's being developed and published by a company called Renderize, And uh, as they describe it, Sign of Silence is a four-player cooperative horror game set in the dreadful outskirts of the town of Danville, where you will escape that place or stay there forever. Uh, And it depends on how cautious and coordinated the actions of your whole team are. And it looks very spooky. (laughs) So this is a it's a four player uh, again cooperative horror game. You play it a group of uh, a group of your friends, and you try to survive in this little town and escape it. And there's there's monsters and creatures. And it kind of has like a Blair Witch style to it. It looks like overall looks like a very cool game. Looks very very spooky. In terms of my by-weight pass status, I'm going to be at a wait. And the reason I'm going to be out of wait if I haven't already bought the game by the time this episode comes out is because with uh, indie co-op games, I always like to at least give it a little bit of time just to be safe in terms of the like servers and stuff like that. Um, I know there are situations in the past where some indie games which are doing really well right now games like fall guys during their first like week or so they were having server issues because it's just a small smaller company dealing with a high volume of people i'm going to hold off on just a little bit just to wait until the kind of initial any excitement about the game dies down a bit and then try to jump in so that's just why i'm currently on a wait i do eventually want to pick up this game i do want to play it with some people potentially on stream maybe with my brother um we will see He's doing finger guns, and that means that he's interested. So uh, that's the game. That's a Sign a Sign of Silence.
1: Not to be confused with the sounds of silence. Song of silence.
0: Hello, darkness, my old friend.
1: So do not copyright this song. <laughs> uh, copyright Strike us, I guess. Uh, so My Byway Pass is going to be uh, a game that's coming out. It has not come out during this recording, but will be out, just like Zacks. Um, it came out on September 24th, 2020, uh, it is Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, the complete edition. And look at that, another management strategy game that Seth likes to play. Uh, this is one being developed by Frontier Developments, who also developed Planet Coaster, Elite Dangerous, and uh, Planet Zoo... Planet Zoo. Yeah. Planet Zoo, Planet Zoo. Planet Zoo, Planet Coaster, and Elite Dangerous. They also did the original rollercoaster tycoon three, uh, so they would know what they're doing we would when hope. it comes to remastering roller coaster tycoon three. It's being brought into the modern era and it's coming complete with both expansion packs, and it's gonna be able to be played on like HD and good good graphics and all that stuff. Um, it looks cool. It looks like it looks like a better and updated roller coaster tycoon three. I am still Still a roller coaster tycoon purist when it comes to play really just loving the original roller coaster tycoon and roller coaster tycoon two because of that cartoony graphics versus the three D graphics, uh as rollercoaster tycoon three was the one of the first roller coaster tycoons to have three D graphics. I guess we should really do a roller coaster tycoon episode. So uh, but my fiance and I really enjoy playing like roller coaster management games together where we build the park together. And Planet Coaster makes her sick because of all the zooming in and zooming out and it makes her motion sick. So I'm going to look at Roll Coaster Tycoon 3 and see if it does a better job at that type of zoom control as it were. So maybe that we can play that game because that would be fun. But I'm going to put it down as a wait because if it's if it's prohibitively expensive then I will not pick it up immediately and I'll wait for it to be on a sale. So, uh, well, that would be our second shock episode. And uh, so, Zach, would you kindly tell us how people can support us, listen to us, and contact us?
0: In order to listen to us, well, guess what? We are available on pretty much every podcasting application out there. I'm talking about your Stitchers, your your Cast boxes, your your iTunes, your Spotify's, your Amazon's. You know, if you say right now to your Amazon device, you know, Amazon device's name. I don't want to say it because she's right next to me. Play Classic Gaming Brothers podcast. She's going to play Ca- Classic Gaming Brothers podcast. It's pretty exciting. But yes, we are available on every podcasting application out there that we know of. If there's one that we're not on, let us know. We will gladly get on that for you. Just, uh, you know, let us know. And the way you can let us know, gosh, look at that. Um, you can let us know by emailing us. You can let us know directly by opening up your favorite email client and shooting us an email at Classic Gaming Brothers at gmail.com or classic gaming brothers at classic gaming brothers.com. It goes to the same mailbox, but it's two different emails. So you can send us an email. We'll go to our inbox. Seth or myself will read it. Most likely Seth. And then uh, we will get back to you and you will also be entered in a chance to win a free video game of your choosing off of a list that we have for steam. I want to make sure to clarify that specifically so people don't think we're just going to go out and buy them a PS4 game for some reason. <laughs> this is a specific I mean, list that we have.
1: If, if you make a compelling case. Yeah, if you I make might. a compelling
0: game, maybe we'll go buy you a PS4 game, but you know, um right now that's the that's the, the winning factor is we have a list, so yeah, that's one way to to reach out to us. You can also do so via our social media. So we have a Facebook, we have a Twitter, and we have an Instagram. Our Facebook is Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Instagram is Classic Gaming Brothers, and I always like to end Twitter off last because that's CG Brothers Pod. So check us out on social media. Give us a like, a follow. You know, ring the bells. Do all those things. Uh, we also have a Twitch uh it's classic gaming brothers we have a uh zach's view of the twitch vs classic gaming brothers um those are two other ways that you can reach out to us you can follow us there we have a youtube channel classic gaming brothers uh you can follow us there we have some recaps of our twitch streams and stuff i think we have a couple of our um some funny clips that we've saved from some past uh from past episodes where we like I was on fire in the background while Seth was trying to read a manual and stuff like that. All sorts of things. you know, All the different ways that you can can reach out to us. If you want to support us, well guess what? You're already doing it because you're listening to our episode. That's one way to support us. The other way to support us is to tell three friends. Because if you like something, you tell three people. If you don't like something, you tell more than three people. So make sure to tell three friends about this podcast, about how much you love it, and that is a great way to support us. We also have a merch store if you are interested in wearing our face or drinking out of our face. We do have merchandise available on our store don't feel obligated to buy anything it is just there for people who are interested in owning a piece of our visage i guess so uh yeah those are all the ways that you can uh listen to us reach out to us and support us yeah i think that's it seth would you kindly tell me if there's anything else that i've forgotten don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've
1: been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers
0: and it's the circus of value that's right (laughs) come back when you get some money buddy (laughs) no refunds no returns